the Murder Mystery Podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's the Parisian Contract. Episode 10 It is raining the next morning. Olivia wants a chill-out day and puts on jeans, then takes a cab to Sophie's office to see how she is. Sophie has a large, open-plan space in Batinol, a few blocks from the Arc de Triomphe. She waits in a reception, dominated by an enormous floral display, in a giant oval grey vase, sitting on a low table. At first sight, Olivia can see that Sophie is suffering. Her black suit is immaculate, but her green eyes are sad. Hey, says Olivia. Hi, you got time for a coffee? Sure, come up. I've got a space I like to go to, to get away from it all, says Sophie. They ascend in a lift to the third floor, get coffees from the largest pod coffee machine that Olivia has ever seen, and take their cups through a heavy door at the end of the corridor. The space is seemingly all glass, giving the impression of floating above the city, cut off from civilization. Four brightly painted metal chairs are arranged aesthetically around a metal table. The rain has morphed into light droplets carried on the breeze that periodically touch the face of the surrounding windows. The sun is forcing itself around the clouds. Tiny puddles shine on the pavements far below them as they sit down. How are you feeling? asks the lawyer. Sad. I know. Do you? says Sophie. I know you must be worried sick. I have a daughter too. I just can't work out who would do it, says Sophie. Olivia almost tells her about the photos in the flat, then realises that she will only cause her more stress. Jean-Luc got a note. Did you know? she says. Yes, he showed me. Can I ask whether you have had any dealings with anyone in the last few years who seem a bit dodgy? says Olivia. What do you mean? Threatening, maybe, or uh, overly aggressive. No, no one, says the florist. Your clients? People threatening me over flowers? Sophie whispers. Of course not. She turns her eyes to the window. Big hotel owners? Big contracts that went wrong? Says Olivia. Nothing. We've dealt with the big hotel chains across Paris, large brands for launch parties, and a few rich families, events like birthdays, anniversaries. Nothing that would drive people to kidnap. Anyone want to buy you out? Says Olivia. I've had three offers in the last two years, says Sophie. And you said no. I'm not selling Fleur de Camille. But if people offered crazy amounts, would you ever? Says Olivia. No. Millions? No, says Sophie. That is not what this company is about. It's not a route to more riches. Jean-Luc and I are already well off. We don't need more cash. Our lifestyle wouldn't change. We have holidays, our Paris apartment and a place in Nice. It's all we need. How has Jean-Luc been in these last few days? She asks. Worried, like me, says Sophie. 
But what? Cold, distant, says the Frenchwoman. More than usual? Sophie smiles. Yes, more than usual. Have you talked to him? Every day, says Olivia. What do you think of him? Olivia sits back to compose her reply. Her eyes flick up to the blue sky. I think he's hiding something, she says. Olivia turns and looks directly at her. I think he knows something that we don't know, and for some reason he won't tell us what that is. Meaning what? says Sophie. Meaning he may be involved in some way. With the kidnap? Sophie is incredulous. Yes, says Olivia with finality. In what way? Sophie's voice shifts with stress. No idea, says Olivia. But he's evasive with me when I ask him about his past, and I know he has lied to me. About what? I can tell you, but it needs to remain between you and I. Of course, says Sophie. Do you know a woman called Grace Hartford? Not heard of her. Who is she? She works for the company who made a predatory bid for alpha mining, says Olivia. That's the reason I'm in Paris. Montgomery were buying alpha, then Grace Hartford overbid the day before the deal was sealed. And Jean-Luc knows her? says Sophie. Yes, he has certainly met her. On business? Olivia stalls for a second, wondering what is behind the question, then says, As opposed to what? As opposed to having an affair, says Sophie coldly. Olivia wants to talk about Constance for the second time in the last few days, but again suppresses the desire. Business, definitely, she says. The women are silent. Sophie takes a sip of coffee. Do you think he's unfaithful? says Olivia. I think he has been, a couple of times over the last twenty years. Olivia feels guilty about not telling Sophie everything, but she reminds herself that the woman is part of a case that she must solve. They talk for another half an hour, then Sophie has to go. As Olivia leaves, the receptionist gives her an umbrella, branded Les Feux de Camille. Grace Hartford is nervous. She bites the side of her thumb and wraps her fingers on the table of the coffee shop opposite Glenthrow Holdings. The rain beats down on the large window and the Parisian traffic beetles past outside in the wet. Guy is late. She checks her watch and picks up her phone to send him a message, but as she does so, he appears in the doorway of the place. He looks around, sees her, and comes over to her table. His hair is dripping as he has just walked from the metro. You look like a drowned rat. I'll take that as a compliment, he says, kissing her on each cheek. He sits, looks at the menu and orders coffee from the waitress. How are you? Worried. Don't be. It could all go wrong, she whispers. It'll be fine. Think of the risks, though. I know there are risks, 
says Guy. But I have plans to mitigate all of them. Did you talk to Edwards? Yeah, he's ready. Guy's coffee arrives. I can't get hold of David, she says. Why do you need to? He's my boss, Guy, she says. There are other things going on apart from this little adventure. Sure. How long now? She says. Two or three days. Why? There are various people that need to be aligned. People helping us. Grace sighs. Can I trust you, Guy? Of course. He puts his hand on hers. For reassurance. Olivia needs to call Richard. She finds a large café on the Rue de Monceau and takes a table by the window. The place is almost empty as it's too late for breakfast and too early for lunch. She puts in her headphones and dials his number. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Richard, she says. I wanted to update you and I have some questions. OK. Francine, she says. Yes. In deciding the approach to take with Richard in this few minutes, she knew she could choose soft or hard. She goes for the latter. I may be mistaken, but I'm sure I saw her meeting Grace Hartford from Glenthrow. Hartford? I don't think so, he says. Didn't you say they're not talking to us? He lies badly, she thinks. I did say that. Grace refused to see me the other day, but I might try again now. Yes, good, he says. I'm sure you're mistaken about Francine, but she was in Paris for a couple of days. I know. We met. Uh, Of course you did, says Richard, getting flustered. She met Dubois too, I think, and a couple of other people. Could she have met Grace Hartford? says Olivia. He pauses to think. I suppose she could, but she didn't tell me if she did. What do you think of her, Richard? She's very good at finance, he says. Strategically excellent. You trust her? Yes, naturally. I recruited her. Didn't Max recruit her? says Olivia. I suppose he did. I approved it, though. We didn't have a strategic capability five years ago, and she fitted the bill perfectly. I'd been tracking her career for a while and heard she was getting itchy feet. What about her weaknesses? A lawyer's question. Richard answers honestly, a little to Olivia's surprise. She's a bit overconfident. Strong on data, strong on derived analyses from that data. And turning it into strategic intent, he says. Sometimes she believes the numbers too much. As the strategy gets shared with clients, it naturally changes here and there, no matter how good it is in theory. It has to work practically too and fit the client world view. Sometimes she has a tendency not to flex soon enough. Have you seen that outside of her strategy work? says Olivia. Is she inflexible in her general business approach? She can be. His tone changes to start to close down the conversation. Olivia pauses, lets him relax and take stock. Never rush a friendly witness. Another topic, if you will, Richard. David Malneath. Richard is silent. Do you know him? She says. I don't, 
says the man, a little too quickly. "'Do you know anything about him?' "'Not really,' says Richard. "'He's the CEO of Glenthrow, well respected, built up Glenthrow from a much smaller core ten years ago. His father started the company, so he was always destined to be the CEO.' "'Could you have predicted that Glenthrow would make this bid?' she says. "'No, a bit out of character for Malneath.' "'You looked into his deals, then?' "'I asked the researchers here to give me a report on Glenthrow. "'Anything interesting?' "'They've grown through mergers and acquisitions,' says Richard. "'Asset strippers, aren't they?' she says. "'That's a bit harsh. "'They certainly buy targets, then rationalise the assets they have acquired.' "'And shut down the loss-making operations,' says Olivia. "'They're in that business.' he says. Their shareholders wouldn't want them to retain loss-making parts of acquisitions. They're quite quick to close down those operations, aren't they? I think I read. She says, knowing that Glenthrow have a fearsome reputation amongst smaller companies, that they'll be bought and dismantled. Malneath has certainly made them a slick operation, says her boss. I saw some stuff about him courting some slightly dubious business associates. Oh? "'Arms traders?' she says. "'Our research didn't find that.' "'My mistake,' says Olivia. She shifts gear, but maintains speed. "'Have you spoken to Max in the last week, Richard?' "'No, as I said. He called me in the afternoon when you were flying back into Heathrow, and said he needed to take some time off.' The man is getting annoyed at her questions. "'What did you say about the man he ran over?' she says. "'Stepped out of nowhere into the road, like I said.' "'He said those exact words?' "'She asks emphatically. "'Or something like that.' "'It's important, Richard,' she says. "'Those words? Or something like that?' "'Let me think. Uh, "'Yes, those words,' he says, definitively. "'She wonders if she trusts Max or Richard more.' Max has no reason to lie, but Richard might have. Max's story rings true. Richard seems uncomfortable. But she can't imagine what Richard might be hiding. "'And you haven't heard from him since,' she says. "'You've asked me twice before, Olivia. No, nothing. I think I said I tried to call him, but no answer.' She is sure he hadn't said that before. I would really like to talk to him, as there are details of the case that no one else knows, she says. Did you get the new address from Francine? What new address? For Max, says Richard. No, have you got that? She says. Yeah, hang on. Richard goes off to find the address. He could have offered this information some time ago, and she wonders why he didn't. He returns and dictates the information to her, and it's a different address to the flat where she met Max two days ago. "'You were going to update me on progress,' says Richard. She outlines the various conversations that she has had, carefully avoiding the parts of the story that Richard doesn't need to know, such as the search for the Renaults, the visit to the flat, and the photos that she found. They ring off, and she orders a croque-madame, and mint tea from the waiter. The rain hasn't stopped outside, 
and it hits the top of the window, creating rivulets down the glass that obscure her view. She thinks about Camille and how the girl must be feeling. Then she thinks about Sophie and how she reacted earlier in the morning. Is she a credible witness? Sophie will have not received any first-hand information about the Alpha contract. Jean-Luc would have been her only source on that subject, so he could have filtered everything he told her. The Grace photos are intriguing. Olivia fishes them out of her bag and looks at them again. The Malneath photo tells her nothing. The two of them are relaxed but businesslike. The Jean-Luc image is much more revealing, though. They are sitting in a restaurant, but Olivia can't tell where. They seem to be engrossed in conversation. Grace is looking at him, but he looks away. There are papers on the table in front of them. A waitress behind them seemingly just standing there. Olivia can't see much more of the detail beyond their table, but she can make out that there are other diners. Olivia takes a photo of the picture with her phone, uploads the image to her laptop, deletes the copy on her phone for security, and selects a photo editing app so she can see the picture full screen. She inspects the picture up close. The look in Grace's eyes is gentle, as though she is looking at someone who is her friend. His face is calm too. Olivia goes through the picture inch by inch. Their hands are resting on the tablecloth. No, Grace's hand is on the tablecloth. Jean-Luc's is on hers. The background is blurred and black. Olivia fiddles with the filters on the photo app, trying to get a better view. Gradually, the darkness lifts. She can see a man at the next table. She zooms in too far, then out again. She changes the colour saturation. There's something there. She strains trying to see, fiddles the controls again, and the face focuses. In the background is a familiar face. Watching the couple intently is Max. Olivia hasn't noticed the man dressed in black enter the café. Her whole concentration is on the photo and finding any clues she can from it. Suddenly and smoothly, the laptop has gone. The man folds the machine, holds it in one gloved hand, and pushes the door to the street with the other. Olivia is frozen in shock, but only for a second. As the door swings shut, she gets up and runs for the exit. He has picked up speed now, running along the pavement and out into the road, dodging cars as they come. She follows down the street, but thirty yards behind. He turns, doesn't see her, and slows to a walk. Her legs power down on the pavement as she catches him up. With twenty feet to go, he hears her steps and accelerates again, pulling away. It takes all of her energy to keep up the pace. She's getting closer, stride by stride. He skids with one step on the wet pavement. It's enough for Olivia to kick out at him with her leading foot. She hits him in the ankle and takes him off balance. He falls in a perfect arc from the standing position to prostrate in the course of one second. She watches him fall in slow motion before the sound of him and the laptop 
hitting the ground, reaches her ears. The computer jumps from his grasp as he impacts and skids along the path in the rain. He scrambles, but she is above him now, and drops her foot hard onto his rising body. He crashes back down. She jumps him, and in one movement stoops and picks up her laptop, then jogs on past the man's prone body. She can see a gendarme up the road and keeps running towards the policeman. She looks back. The man gets up, looks at her, and walks off the way he came. Only then does her leg hurt. She limps back to the cafe where she had left her bag, crumples down into the chair and inspects the damage. Her right hand has a cut but minor, one nail broken but her leg aches. She opens the laptop lid. It has gone to sleep. She pushes the power button and nothing happens, the black screen daring her. She picks it up, looks all around it, and can see the battery has dislodged. She presses it back in, flicks the power, and the screen wakes, back to the photo of Jean-Luc and Grace the only difference being a diagonal crack across the face of the glass, distorting Jean-Luc's face, so his eyes are now looking out at Olivia from the picture. She taxis back to the hotel, has a bath, and orders a daiquiri on room service. She calls reception to see if they can find a repair company for her screen, then carefully stores the machine and the photos from the flat in her laptop bag and puts it all into the wardrobe. It is only mid-afternoon, but she feels tired, and she sleeps. It's 7pm when she wakes, and she goes down to the bar to get food. Her leg still hurts, and she takes painkillers. The boy who slept with Poppy is on shift, and he brings her drink with a broad smile. Thank you, she says. He waits expectantly. Was there something else? He is more nervous than she remembers. Are you Poppy's mother? He says. Yes. Is she still in Paris? He says. No, she went back. I didn't get a number. You'll have to ask her for that, says Olivia, to which he says nothing. Olivia thinks about what happened today and wonders if the near robbery was a random event or connected to anything else. Taking a laptop seems like an important thing to steal, but in reality, her computer has very few original documents on it as she saves copies to the cloud. She works through the logic of the crime. If the robber was asked by the kidnappers to steal it, she can't think of anything they would want from her. Did the kidnappers even know she was connected to Jean-Luc and Sophie? Maybe the robbery is connected to the Alpha deal. What did they think she has that Glenthrow might want? Her notes from interviews, possibly. The documents she had been given by Jean-Luc on the deal? That seems more attractive bait. The important thing is, they haven't got whatever they wanted. She continues to think through the possibilities, orders food from the boy, and goes through her phone to catch up on personal messages. She looks through her girlfriend's Facebook pages. The women her age all seem to be pregnant 
or mothers to toddlers. Olivia likes the fact that her life is out of kilter with other people. When Poppy was small, Olivia was in her early twenties, and her friends shied away from her company then, as they were in the middle of their great adventures after university. She had mostly stayed in the flat, working through the night on her professional exams. It was a lonely era. Ludo had started to be absent almost from the birth. She told herself that he hadn't intended to be a father, and that his research was his life. But when he left her, she realised it was just his selfishness, not his strong work ethic, that drove him away. He was a passionate man, just not passionate enough for his girlfriend and daughter. The boy waiter approaches her. Nothing more for me, thanks, she says. Can you put it all on my room tab? She holds up her hotel card with the room number on it. Of course, says the boy. There was a message for you. Oh? He hands her a folded paper the size of a receipt. She unfolds it. On the paper is written one short sentence. Constance is not all she seems. You might want to find out more. The boy waits. She looks up. Who left this? She says. A woman, says the boy. She came into the bar five minutes ago. What did she look like? She asks. His face is blank and she realises he didn't really notice. Thank you. She waves the paper in the air and he goes back to the bar. Who could have left this note? Someone who knows Constance is Jean-Luc's mistress and that Olivia is on the Montgomery case. Jean-Luc has kept Constance a closely guarded secret, so the number of people who know must be very small. She makes her way up to her room and swipes her room card and pushes the door open. On the table in the centre of her room is her laptop. The lid is up and the screen is on. She walks up to the table, clicks through the files. All seems to be unchanged. She goes into the photo app. The screen is blank and the image of the photo has gone. The laptop bag is on the table behind the machine. Olivia picks it up and opens it. But the photos have gone from there too.